They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks it in trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. That is right, SoundCloud.com. That is right. It is the one and only Brotherly Love Podcast, a Memorial Day edition. Joe O'Donnell, John Mita here with you. Thanks all our love and support on Twitter, at Love Podcast. Johnny Meats, what's up, bro? What's happening, Joe? How you doing, man? Doing well, man. Doing well. It is a uh, a holiday. You enjoying it so far? Exactly. And it's funny you bring that up. Let's give a big shout-out to uh, all the people that have served the best country in the world for so many years. They've given their lives, sacrificed, you know, to keep our freedom and make this place great. And uh, give a shout-out to the people in the armed forces right now serving this country. So we can't forget that. We should never forget that. This is the best place to be, so... Well said, brother. Well said. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, jump right into it. We're going to talk a little bit about the Phillies getting pounded on their most recent road trip. So much for playing above <laughs> expectations. They look like a doormat of a team the last, uh, last really, almost 10 games now. Uh, we'll touch on the Stanley yeah. Cup final, which opens tonight. The Penguins and the Sharks game one in Pittsburgh. Uh, and let's then, go Sharks. Yeah, let's go Sharks. And then we've got... Uh, uh, game seven tonight, NBA Western Conference, the Warriors and the Thunder. We'll give a quick prediction on that. But, Johnny Mita, we begin with an article you saw on USA Today uh, for the win. Is one of, I guess, their kind of subsidiary, uh, subsidiary pages on USA Today Sports for the win, FTW. And on the NFL, Stephen Ruiz, uh, just a couple of days ago, ranked all 32 NFL head coaches from worst to first. So 32 all the way to number one. Uh, we tried to get him on the program. He did respond via Twitter, said, shoot me some details via email. I emailed him, copied you, so you were a witness, and then we never heard back. My guess is he saw that the Brotherly Love podcast was what he felt beneath him and decided not to come on. It's probably a good thing because I don't think you were uh, too pleased with his work. No, this list was outrageous. It was and it's funny, kind of, even some radio hosts in the town have been talking about it around here in Philly. And listen, I agree with, you know, he ranks the coaches. So most of the end, just to fill the people in on, are like the recently hired coaches, which is understandable. They really don't have a lot of experience in the league. Some of them have never been head coaches. So you're like Mike Malarkey, Tennessee at 32, and Peterson, and Ben McAdoo, and some of the other new hires, and then Gus Bradley. But the one thing that just absolutely blew my mind is that he had Chip Kelly ranked number 11 in the NFL. So he's a top 15 coach out of 32 teams. Now, I was just blown away by it. But granted, did Chip Kelly have some success in Philadelphia? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He, he took a team the first one year, but then it absolutely imploded. And guys, to be a good head coach, a couple things need to happen. You have to be able to motivate your team each and every day. 
get them to play for you. And his team clearly stopped playing for him. Great point. There's all types of stuff going on in the locker room, and they almost quit on him towards the end of the season. So you can't give me a, a number one coach overall had a team that quit him. I was shocked that he even got hired that quickly. You know, I saw people, but people are enamored with his up, you know, upbeat, up tempo offense. Again, after watching it for years, I still don't think it's going to be successful. It'll be interesting to see how he rebounds in San Francisco. But there were some other shockers. Bill O'Brien, number 13 um, for the Houston Texans. Listen, I think he's a great coach, but I don't know if I'd rank him ahead of some other people. Jay Gruden was 15. Jay Gruden, they had one good season. One good season. They went to the playoffs last year. Now, all of a sudden, he's this great coach. So, for this, I think you got the top two, right? You know, Belichick and Pete Cal. I would say that, yeah, that, that seems correct. But the list was a little funky, man. Johnny Mean, let me ask you this. As, as I scour through this, you know, you sent it to me a few days ago. I'm a little surprised Jeff Fisher, the Rams, is 22nd. I think he's a good coach. He yeah. just hasn't had a whole lot to work with. Uh, Steven Ruiz from USA Today's point is that he hasn't produced a winning record in seven years. Well, I, I don't put, I don't pin that on Jeff Fisher. Uh, Chuck Pagano, the Colts. Yeah, yeah. Chuck Pagano, the Colts, is number 20. I don't know you just throw out the book on Pagano after one year where Andrew Luck was basically hurt the whole season. Um, yeah. You know, Andy Reid is number 10 with Chip Kelly, as you pointed out, right behind him at number 11. But as I go through this, outside of Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, Bruce Arians, Mike Tomlin, John Harbaugh, Mike McCarthy, and I guess to some extent now Ron Rivera, there aren't many coaches at all in the National Football League that I'm enamored with, period. I think this is almost an impossible list to put together after the first, you know, that elite six or eight coaches, probably like the same thing with quarterbacks, is that it's just, eh, I, I just, I don't know. What Jason Garrett, you know, Jack Del Rio, uh, Todd Bowles, I mean, Gary Kubiak now is a Super Bowl ring as a head coach, but, you know, John Fox with the Bears, I, you know, had some magic, but that team's been kind of a train wreck lately. You know, so I, I, I just don't, I think it's a hard list. I think either way, you're going to screw yourself because there's just not that many good coaches, honestly. I mean, that's where I come out on this. Now, I, I, don't, I kind of disagree with you. I mean, if, if we turn back, granted, over three seasons, Chip Kelly had two winning seasons and then a train wreck. But if we flip the script a year ago, you and I are probably arguing that Chip Kelly should be higher than number 11. He should be in the top 10, maybe in the top 8, right? Well, you would think that, but I was never enamored by his defensive coordinator hire. Yeah. Billy Davis. And, yeah. Good and, point. That's a that is a direct indictment on the head coach. Good point. And not only that, the direct indictment. You know, he wanted to be the Pittsburgh Steelers of the whatever. You know, go to a three four, and this team didn't have three four personnel. They had four three personnel all day long, and they tried to change it. And that comes down to coaching as well. You know, some of the best coaches. That comes down to program. that comes down to stubbornness. Is what that comes down to. That's what he knew at right. Oregon. He wanted to do it his yeah. way. And for a while, yeah. his way, Chip Kelly's way worked because the players bought in. But as soon as the players stopped buying in, and as soon as they got tired of the personnel changes, and good That's players crazy. being jettisoned aside, and the winning wasn't as easy, the guys quit. Plain and simple. Yep, yeah, I did. 
for sure. Well, we wish we could have had Steven Ruiz on because, you know, it would have been nice to at least talk to the guy that put this together. This And lists are always, look, lists are going to be good fodder. They're going to get people excited. They're going to get people to bring out their opinions. Um, no doubt. It would have been nice to have him on, but, you know, he probably clicked on our SoundCloud page and wasn't very impressed. What can I say? <laughs> All right, let's shift gears. The Philadelphia Phillies, 1-5 and five right. on this road trip, and, boy, did they take it prison style against the Chicago Cubs. Uh, the Cubs, one of the best teams in baseball. You know, yesterday's a prime example, Johnny Mita. You lose the first two games. You don't play particularly well. And what do the Cubs do? They come right out in the first inning, second inning, third inning, and just start piling up runs. They gave the Phillies absolutely no hope over the three-game series. Cubs pitchers had a 1.21 ERA in sweeping the Phillies, who now are 26-24, and and all of a sudden behind Miami, behind the Mets, and, you know, it's amazing what a week can do in Major League Baseball. You play so much that you could play great ball like the Phillies did for six weeks, eight weeks, overachieving, and then, boom, you have a, you lose six of seven, and you're right back to 500, essentially. Yeah, and it doesn't get any easier from here. Nope. they got the Washington Nationals going in, so that's on deck for them. But, hey, it was a good measure, a good barometer, so to yes. speak, to see, okay, where this team is. Because, let's face it, the Cubs are incredible. I mean, you look up and down that lineup, man, that team is frightening. Like, with the firepower they had. But you thought maybe yesterday, you know, the Phillies' so-called ace, I would say, the staff, Vinny Velasquez, and he just got lit up early and often. But So, so that was hard to take, but I think it's, it's uh, okay, all right, pump the brakes, people. You know, everybody's talking, can the team make a wild card? I think it just came down to kind of what we know of their Achilles heel will be for this entire year, and it's that they just don't have enough talent in regards to bats. Do you know what I mean? They don't have the pop in the outfield. They weren't really getting production from first base. Tommy Joseph's coming on. But it just they, they just can't generate runs. And if you can't generate runs, you're going to struggle. And I also look at in two games, after the two games again, because the first two games, they had two extra base hits yeah. in the series. I mean, that is a mind-blower. So... It's good, you know, you kind of step away and say, okay, well, this is the best team in baseball. We just got our doors blown off. And then you get to reevaluate, and hopefully they can come out and steal a couple games against Washington. But I think it sets the stage of, you know, what they need to become for future. Because the expectations were really low for this team. All the people across the country, the odds makers, they were saying that the Phillies, the over-under on game-win total was probably – you know, high 60, so to speak, and they've exceeded expectations. They're a fun group to watch, but, uh, you know, these last 10 games have definitely brought them down to earth for sure. Ryan Howard's hitting just a buck 54. You hit on it 13 of the next, uh, yeah. with the with the tough competition coming up, 13 of the next 17 against the Nationals, the Blue Jays, and the Cubs. And that doesn't even include yeah. The series they just played against the Cubs, so schedule definitely right. more difficult. Detroit was in there, but I think I think you make a great point. It is a barometer for this young team. They can see where they need to get to. Um, look, they know in the clubhouse that they they played over their heads, but they had some belief. And I, again, I believe the winning over the first two months was very vital for this group to give them some belief that the group they have in there can get it done. They know they're going to need more pieces. 
it's a building process, certainly. Let's see if they can, uh, you know, bounce back against the Nationals, come out in a big division series, and, and maybe make their mark. But Ryan Howard, a buck fifty-four right now, man. Tommy Joseph's ten out of thirty-five, believe in his starts this year, so he is hitting the ball somewhat consistently. I'd like to see him getting more time, but there's just nothing to do with Ryan Howard. The only thing the Phillies can do is try and move him to an American League team, and I know this isn't a newsflash, and, and just eat all of his salary. Literally eat, you know, $18 million of whatever's left this year and hope somebody takes him just to come off their bench or play a few games as a DH. I mean, that's literally the Phillies' only hope, and if there's not a suitor out there, unfortunately, this is going to end in a somewhat not positive manner. I mean, it's already been sort of downhill, and I kind of liken it, Johnny Mead, a little bit to, uh, to Donovan McNabb. Um, you remember that just not not the end of the career type situation, but just the way these two athletes are revered in Philadelphia. I mean, he's the first name I can think of because you look at Howard for as much as he was beloved, he was often maligned and very similar to McNabb in that way where McNabb got, you know, to the Super Bowl and all those NFC championship games and, and the expectations were so high. But it was always, I ah, you know, I don't like I personally couldn't stand sometimes he'd be smiling after an incompletion. Or, you know, he's throwing up in the Super Bowl, or he's throwing the ball at receiver's feet, or he didn't know that you could end the game in a tie. There was just always these things, whereas Howard striking out, grounding out to the right side, not fast enough, injuries have derailed him. There's just always been this, you know, with both athletes, McNabb and Howard, the highs, and then, unfortunately, a lot of lows. It's kind of upsetting, man, to watch this guy. You know, he, for years, Ryan Howard, put up some of the greatest seasons you know, as a slugger in Major League Baseball. And we got to witness that. And we got to, you know, basically benefit from the fruits of this guy's labor for so long. And he was playing at such a high level when the Phillies had to do the right thing and reward him with that $125 million contract. And I get it. As fans, we hate that contract right now. We're like, we are getting nothing out of this guy. But at the time, if he hit the open market at that time, he easily would have got like $175 million. But this guy pretty much is going to play his entire career with Philadelphia. He might play one, with one other team. Maybe you brought up DH and coming off the bench. Maybe they ship him to somewhere like Tampa. You know, would that bring some people down there? He's got a home that he actually built in that area so where he's eventually going to retire to. So the Phillies have every intention of just going to hang out this money. So it's a question of, do we just so that you don't have to worry about you know playing other people at that position or even for him or just give him a fresh start somewhere and maybe that could for the last couple of years of his career maybe that could jumpstart him but unfortunately it's very sad like I wish this guy I wish this guy nothing but the best it's it's tough man it's tough to see because this is a guy that like you said was revered. We're never going to forget that World Series. I mean, 08, the parade. I mean, we're just never going to forget that. And he was a big part of those teams. So, unfortunately, I think maybe it might be time to uh, release the big piece. I never thought I'd say that. But um, maybe it might be better for both sides. And like you said, they're going to pay him his money. It's just a matter of how they do it. You know, some people are suggesting an affiliary, Joan. You probably haven't heard about it. But they were suggesting... You know, what are you going to do as far as, like, maybe he should just retire. Like, listen, he's not going to retire and give up on $27 million. Yeah, he's too proud, man. He's too <laughs> proud. 
Yeah, he's too proud. And listen, another Phillies, great Phillies player, Mike Schmidt. You know, he was just having a similar season. It's funny. They compare the numbers. Now, Schmidt's were a lot better than what Ryan's doing right now. But he just had enough, and then he retired. But I just don't see that. But I think the best solution for both sides in this current situation is just to release him and, like you said, or trade him and just eat the entire 27 months. Write him a check. Here you go, Ryan. We appreciate your services over the years. Here's $27 million. See you later. That's a lot better than the $44 million check the 76ers had to give to Chris Webber to just get lost. Well said. Take a break on the Brotherly Love Podcast. Talk about the Stanley Cup Final and Game 7 Warriors Thunder when we come back. You're listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast exclusively on SoundCloud.com. It is the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. Joe Donald, John Mead here with you. Appreciate all the love and support. Talk a little fight and fills. Talk a little bit about the USA Today's coaches list put together by Stephen Ruiz, ranking the NFL head coaches. Now it's time to talk some hockey. It's unbelievable, bro, but the final is upon us. The Stanley Cup final begins tonight. Best of seven, the Sharks and the Penguins. You want to start? Nah, I defer to you, buddy. You are the hockey expert on this show, bar none. All right, brother. Let me hear what you have to say. Give it to me. Well, game one tonight, 8 o'clock Eastern from the Berg. Game two is on Wednesday, and then the series will shift to San Jose. The Sharks, of course, beat the Kings, the Predators, and the Blues. San Jose has been red hot 40-18-4 since January 9th. That includes the playoffs. 40-18-4. I mean, that's unbelievable. Their power play is lethal. Not only do they have that top line of Pavelski, Thornton, and Hurdle playing lights out, but Logan Couture actually leads the Sharks with 24 points. He's not even on their top line, so they've got depth up front. Brent Burns is having a Norris Trophy-type season on the back end. Mark Edward Vlasic, Justin Braun, some uh, sort of unsung heroes along their blue line. So they've got depth everywhere. They've got some guys that want to get it done. They've got Joe Thornton, never won a Stanley Cup. They've got Patrick Marlowe, lifetime San Jose Shark, never won a cup. First time either of these guys plays in the final. And I think that's big. I, I go back to 2004, one of the first, actually, even before that, when Ray Bork finally won the cup with Colorado, early 2000s. Uh, then 2004, Tampa Bay wins at Dave Anderchuk. Uh, Anderchuk hoists the cup over his head for the first time. Rod Brindamore in 2006. You know, you go through some of these years where there are guys that you feel just deserve it. Last year, Kimo Timonen with the Blackhawks, even though he didn't play for the Hawks very long, finally lifted that cup over his head. Let's not undervalue or underestimate the importance of what this means to some of those veteran players and just how special it will be can they get it done. And I think that when you come this far and you get there for the first time in your career and you realize you might not get there again, Thornton and Marlowe, maybe the two biggest names there, I think you're going to see a little extra from some of those guys. It's going to be who wants it more in this series. Can the star power of Crosby and Malkin, can they override the depth 
that San Jose will bring. Uh, who are going to be some of those unheralded players that step up in the spotlight? Brian Russ has been outstanding in the playoffs for Pittsburgh. Youngster from Notre Dame kind of rising onto the scene here. But San Jose has some of those guys, too. They've got guys like Joel Ward, always been a clutch performer in the postseason. So those uh, X-Factor guys. For me, it's San Jose and Joel Ward. Talked about Russ having a great playoff so far, a couple of goals in Game 7 over the Lightning. But I look at Phil Kessel from Pittsburgh. He just got snubbed by Team USA at the World Cup of Hockey. Does that provide extra motivation for him? Can he score some timely goals for this group? Which young goaltender is going to step up? For years, Johnny Mead, it was you had to have Brodeur or Wah or an Eddie Belfour or a Hoshik to get to this point. Not anymore, man. Now it's, is your goaltender confident, and does he have some swag? And if, if they've got that, and they've got a good team in front of them, you're going to find some success. You've got Martin Jones and Matt Murray. Now here's the one thing. Pittsburgh has an advantage in two areas for me. One, San Jose has not been tested that much this playoff year. L.A., they dispatched them rather quickly, and that was kind of the, the, the gorilla for them, the gorilla on the back, the elephant in the room. They couldn't beat the Kings. They finally beat the Kings. The Predators put up somewhat of a fight, but they weren't ready, and the Blues were overmatched. Pittsburgh faced some real adversity, down three games to, do, uh, three games to two to Tampa Bay. That was gut-check time for the Penguins, and they responded in a big way. You know, they bring up a coach midseason. They, they are rolling, certainly, much like the Sharks. So my only knock on the Sharks, really, is that they haven't faced a lot of adversity. They haven't really been punched in the mouth in the playoffs. If Pittsburgh takes the lead in the series two games to one, three games to two, how will the Sharks respond? And then goaltending-wise, Pittsburgh has better depth. Because Marc-Andre Fleury is a Stanley Cup winner. He's on the bench. And he didn't look very good in his, in his one start in the Eastern Conference Final. But I'd much rather have Fleury coming in, if needed, than James Reimer, who backs up Martin Jones. Okay, James Reimer stinks. So should goaltending depth come into play? I know it kind of sounds like a crazy part of the equation here. But at this point in the year, you need all 20 guys, basically, right? You need everybody in your lineup. So should goaltending depth come into play? James Reimer stinks, and Flurry at least has a pedigree and a resume. Uh, the injury to Trevor Daly of the Penguins certainly is a big one. How will they try and survive as a long series moves along? So I'm looking for some of the X-Factor players, a guy like Joel Ward in San Jose, Phil Kessel in Pittsburgh. We've had some of these younger players step up, Chris Tierney of the Sharks, uh, Brian Russ of the Penguins, which of those guys will continue to produce. But can guys like Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, can they outshine the Pavelskis and Thorntons and Couture's of the Sharks? And then will San Jose respond to adversity well if they face it? Now, with all of that said, I'm taking the Sharks. I just think that their power play is too lethal. They have too much scoring prowess, and they don't give up a whole lot. They skate very well. I think it's going to be a very fast-paced series. Both teams can move the puck. Both teams can get up and down the rink. I think it's going to be somewhat high scoring as well, but I just don't see any way the Sharks lose this series. I'm taking San Jose and, uh, San Jose and six. They hoist the cup in the Shark Tank when it's all said and done for their first ever Stanley Cup championship. You know, it's hard to believe. I remember when San Jose, when they basically beat, were that expansion of the NHL team and where they've come from, you know, this year's or what? 25th anniversary, I think it is, which is just mind-blowing. But I saw San Jose play the Flyers, Simon and Color, and that team, they were impressive. They blew me away. Just like you said, you mentioned some of the stars on their team, the Thorns, and just, but even their back end and how well they skated and how fast they were. They were so quick to, like, transition to the other end. 
I've never seen a team that quickly. And the fact that they buried so many teams throughout the sales, like to do what they did to the Kings, man, the Kings are loaded with firepower. Yep. And they just, just dispatched them easily. And taking off St. Louis, I really thought St. Louis had a shot to make it. And they dispatched them. And, and when they're beating these teams, these teams, these games aren't like two to one, three to four to three. Like when they beat a team, it's like six to two, five to one. Like they are, they're really on a roll. You brought up their record, but like you said before, you can't, you can't dispatch Pittsburgh either. They were probably the hottest team coming into the playoffs. Towards the end of the year, I mean, they've been on fire. Their power play was great. You mentioned a lot of their players. They have the factor, that experience factor, that some of those guys have been in it. The goaltending matchup in this series is very interesting. You know, which young goaltender is going to be able to shine? That's going to be huge. You talked about the daily injury. That that could prove large. Um, but I just – and the, the first thing you said, Joe, really jogged. That's a great point by you because these guys, not knowing if you're ever going to get back there, it's the one-and-done shot. Yep. Can you take on that type of pressure, and can you just basically, as Steve Young said in the Super Bowl when he beat, when he beat the, uh, the San Diego Chargers, take this monkey off my back. So there's going to be extra motivation. I think it's going to be a hell of a series. Um, and I like your prediction of six games and hoisting the cup. At the Shark Tank, um, I, I like that prediction. So I'm kind of in favor. I do think San Jose will win this series. People might say that because I'm a Pittsburgh hater. That is true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I just think the West, man, the West is its a different type of brand, man. It really is. Even in the NBA, you look at the, the teams in the Western Conference, you're like, whoever comes out of the East, will they even have a shot? But no, I think you brought up some great points, great matchups. It's, it's going to be a fun series for sure. Joe Thornton's having and, a hell of a playoff for the record. Um, uh, and, and well, one, he deserves it. Uh, he does. He does. Because he took a lot yeah. of flack, you know, not getting yeah. it done in Boston, being traded really in the yeah. prime of his career, now in the twilight right. of his career having the captaincy stripped away. Let's not forget that. Doug Wilson, the GM, took the C from Joe Thornton and put it on Joe Pavelski a couple of years ago. Uh, and to yeah. deal with that and now be at the, the, the biggest stage of his career with the biggest beard he's had in his life, um, I oh, think God. it's uh, it burns his oh, it's unbelievable. But, uh, they look, look like they're on Game of Thrones. They do. <laughs> they've got a great group of uh, characters, that appears. They seem like a tight-knit group. And let's not forget that Pete DeBoer, their head coach, coached the Devils in the finals a couple years ago when they lost to the Kings. So he's even though he hasn't won a cup, he's seen the media circus. He's been a part of the biggest stage in the world as far as the game of hockey goes. So that is another, I think, feather in the cap for the Sharks. But your point to the, you know, there are some Penguins that have hardware already. Um, you know, you got a Con Smythe winner in Malkin. So they've got star power. The Penguins can win this series for sure. But the Sharks are deep. They're playing great hockey. It's going to be a great series. I just think at the end of the day, what I've seen from San Jose has been more impressive than what I've seen from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh beat a Tampa Bay team with no Stamkos outside of Game 7 and no Ben Bishop outside of the first 10 minutes of Game 1. I'm sorry. That's a big caveat. Yeah. All right, let's jump to the NBA uh, because you brought it up. I'll defer to you quickly. Game 7, Thunder, Warriors, who do you like? 
I really thought Oklahoma City was going to be able to close the door. And Seth Curry and Clay Thompson, Clay Thompson just willed that team back into it. They were down like nine points and five minutes to go, and they just found a way to rise to the occasion. I really think there's no way Golden State loses this game tonight because they just, all year, I think they've lost like a couple home games. During the regular season, they lost one game at home. When that place gets electric, when this team goes on a roll and they start snowballing people, if they get that lead, I don't think Oklahoma City, do they have the firepower? Absolutely. There's no question about it. But if this game becomes a blowout, then I think it'll stay that way. If Oklahoma City can keep it tight through four quarters, they might be able to pull the upset. But I, I just think Colton State's way too strong at home. I think Curry is going to have a performance for the ages tonight. I see him dropping about 40 points tonight. And I think they move on and keep this magical season rolling and see what they can do against LeBron, who's waiting in the wing at the NBA Finals. And it looks like this will be LeBron's best Cleveland team, and that would be a hell of a matchup. So I'm going to go with the Golden State Warriors. I, I think it might get out of hand because I just – got to understand the deflation fact. I mean – they had Golden State by the throat, three one in this series, and they let that slip away. Yep, and I don't know if they started to, to smell their own, you know what? But everybody in the media was roasting Golden State. They're done. Oak City's the better team. They're playing better. Yeah. Golden State, yeah, dude, they're the champs. Why did every you know? Let's in sports we do this too often. We jump to ah, oh, this guy's the worst. This team's the worst. Fire this guy. Come on, they won 73 games this year. Give me a break. So, yeah, only nine teams ever in NBA history have a race of 3-1 deficit. Well, guess who has a pretty good shot at that? The only team to ever win 73 in a regular season. So everybody wanted to write off the Warriors. They had them on the ropes, the Thunder did. They had two chances to put them away. They didn't get it done. And now they got to go back to Northern California where, as you put it, all the momentum is lost, and so I, I, I'd i be dumb to take anybody else other than the Golden State Warriors in this game, um, and, and I'll just leave it at What a night it's going to be in Northern California. You know, the yeah. Sharks aren't at home, but uh, they're in their first ever Stanley Cup final game, and the Warriors on their home court for a chance to go back to the finals for the second straight year. Yeah, courtside tickets tonight, I just read a quick article, $29,000 per seat for four seats. Let's go, dude. Just throw it on my card. Throw it on my card. You guys, you got the old Amex black card ready to go, Jeff? Yeah, right. That's maxed out. (laughs) All right, a little America the Beautiful to take us out. Memorial Day edition of the Brotherly Love Podcast. Always good to talk to you, Johnny. The next one we'll be doing in person, my friend. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be great. SoundCloud.com. Keep it real. Follow us on Twitter at BelovedPodcast. Till next time, we'll see Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.